RadioInfluence.com. We'll look into the shocking state of our military, unveil several lies told about Donald Trump, and gaze ahead to the 2024 elections with journalist Kurt Slichter on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. I wonder what Generals Patton and MacArthur would think about our military if we could bring them back for a few minutes. And I say a few minutes because I don't know if they'd want to stick around much longer. That's just one among a seemingly endless number of hot button issues that have our collective patriotic heads on the verge of explosion. What about the lies that were told and continued to be force fed down our throats about Donald Trump? And can we really trust the 2024 elections? Our guest is here to dissect the dire straits we're living in. So let's get into it. Talk about casting the proverbial hat in a wide array of arenas. He's a retired Army infantry colonel and a former stand-up comic who currently is a law partner at the growing Los Angeles trial law firm. He's a frequent guest on Fox News, Fox Business News, and other noted media outlets. And there's more. He's the author of several books, his latest entitled Militant Normals, How Regular Americans Are Rebelling Against the Elite to Reclaim Our Democracy. He also hosts the podcast Unredacted with Kurt Slichter. I welcome to the show a man of many seasons and reasons, the senior columnist at townhall.com, Kirk Slichter. Kirk, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I thanks, Kirk. Thank you for coming on. Now, first of all, sir, I want to thank you for your service. I was a colonel. I didn't do anything. Yeah, but you were in Kosovo and you're a desert storm. That's doing something. Yeah, it's perfect attendance. Okay, there you go. And, oh, what's, what's the penalty for non-perfect attendance? Uh, you don't get the ribbon. That's it. So they, they don't line you up and uh, do stuff to you. Well, they, 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 you know, if you don't show up where they tell you to go, they tend to take that poorly. Okay, I hear you. Now, normally I ask guests a few questions before I do this, but in your case, I want to move this exercise to the front of the line. I like to do what I call a mic drop, in which I'll say a few words, drop my mic, then go lay down on my bed and let you freestyle. So are you ready? Let's go. Here we go. Here's here it is. I'm dropping the mic after I say this. Just go go at it. The condition position of the United States military. Oh, it's a freaking disaster. I wrote about it at town hall the other day. Uh, the the entire military leadership is completely ate up. Uh, look, I mean, you you can talk about things like funding and equipment and acquisitions. Uh, you can even talk about tactics and logistics, but the basic problem with a military, the basic, the most important thing is the leadership structure. If you don't have that nailed down, you're going to lose, uh, even if you have all the other things. The problem is we have a military leadership that hasn't won a war unequivocally in 30 years. I recall winning unequivocally 30 years ago in Desert Storm. I highly recommend it. Um, 
instead we have this woke garbage military that's more concerned with making uh, the military into some sort of petri dish of social pathologies rather than deterring or defeating our enemies. And the results are very clear. You can't, uh, they can't meet their recruiting numbers. They can't perform basic tasks. I mean, you got ships slamming into each other or catching fire. You know, we lost a billion dollar ship because it caught fire and nobody knew how to put out a fire. You know, I'm not a sailor. I was army, but I think putting out fires on ships is a pretty important skill. One that you should keep, uh, uh, you know, at a high level of readiness. That would be one of your more important training functions. Now, the investigation showed that the Bon Homer Shard uh, crew was not trained adequately in fire uh, uh, firefighting. Uh, but I will bet you any sum of money that the training records will show that they were absolutely trained to a pitch of readiness, a peak of, of, of skills on trans awareness. We have an en- essentially unserious military because we have an essentially unserious ruling class. And uh, it's going. It, it already has cost lives, cost lives in Kabul, uh, and it's going to cost lives in the future. So, military's a giant mess. I hear you. Can you tell me with the genesis of it? Where did it start, and did you see this coming? Now, I know you were retired by that time, but was or were you? Did was there a point in which you started to see subtle changes, and then they just morphed into this garbage we have now? Uh. You know, the changes were subtle when I was in. And there were, look, there were, there were changes that weren't necessarily bad. For one thing, I was very suspicious of um, uh, allowing gay soldiers to serve openly because I believed that was going to be a major problem. That alone. In what regard? Because I, I agree I, with I, you. I in what regard? Going to be, uh, I thought there was going to be uh, real problems in the ranks. Now, there had always been gay soldiers. I knew exactly who was gay in my unit. Come on. You can't live with people and not know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tra- the, that, that transition uh, actually went fairly well. I didn't have any problems specifically related to uh, a gay soldier servant. So I, I, you know, I mean, you know, I, uh, occasionally you you would see somebody's life partner was of the same sex, but that didn't that didn't seem to affect the mission. What would affect the mission uh, would be people not equally applying rules. You know, some people mm-hmm. get uh, special treatment, other people don't. Uh, other people's religious values being attacked because you know, you know, you have a chaplain who won't do a gay marriage. And, you know, those chaplains getting attacked, which is absolutely outrageous. Right. Uh, so so a change like that, you know, I, I, that that wasn't a problem. The the problem began when. The divisions and differences of immutable characteristics became the fetish of the military. They'd always had some stupid equal opportunity training, and you'd go for like 10 minutes a year and everybody ignore it, and we'd get back to work. It just, it just wasn't a thing. Now it's become an obsession. It's an obsession at the service colleges. It's an obsession with senior leaders. When you have um, 
uh, General Milley, who is the worst chief of uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in American history, uh, just terrible on every level, going and saying, I'd like to understand the roots of white rage. All I could think of was, you know, I'd like to understand how we're going <laughs> to beat the freaking Chinese. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> how did he get how did he raise through the ranks in the first place? Well, look, no. Well, here's the thing. You know, as junior officers, he he wasn't incompetent. I've talked to people in his battalion. He was a good battalion commander. You look at his uh, you look at his uniform, and you know sometimes we give each other grief about it. But you know he's done a lot of stuff. He's a ranger, special forces. You know, I mean those are those are not you know combat infantry badge. I think he's got a star on it. I mean, look, he 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 wasn't a chicken. He wasn't an incompetent. But he, he has been raised to a level, like General Mattis was, beyond his level of expertise. Look, if you want a Marine Corps general to command a division, you go find Jim Mattis. That's the guy you want run the division. And then when he ran a division successfully, they decided this guy's great. We're going to make him uh, defense secretary. And he was terrible. The Peter principle is real. Uh, general Milley was at least a good battalion commander. I don't know if he's a good brigade commander or division commander or corps commander, um, but somewhere between battalion command and chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he exceeded his skill level. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I, I, I don't think he's a, uh, you know, I, I, I would never call him a cow. I mean, he's got a combat record, but sure as hell beats mine. I wash trucks. Um, and that's true of a lot of these guys, you know, you know, out on a battlefield, they're not, you know, cowering in a corner, right? But they get into Washington, and somebody comes out, well, you're racist and sexist, and they're like, ah! Yeah. I never knew about military leadership to conform to what the Chardonnay-drinking Democrat woman thinks. No. You have to look at them and go, okay, that's stupid, and your idiocy is going to get people killed. I mean, if you want a look, if you want one area in society where the, the, the nonsense about race, sex, and ethnicity almost, was almost meaningless. It would be the military. Right. Of the generation I was. I remember I got out of Desert Storm. I'd served three or four years on active duty. I'd go to Loyola Law School, which is where liberal kids who aren't smart enough to get into US, UCLA go. <laughs> and, uh, or, or guys who, who apply from fighting positions in the desert. Um, and uh, I saw more... Among these liberal folks, these are the, these are the you know, Volvo driving, you know, my you know, West Side L.A. people. I saw more religious bigotry, both uh, open and, you know, just sort of condescending uh, stereotypes and stuff uh, among these people I ever saw among the military. And, they, and, and the thing that annoyed me is they thought I was into it. They'd be like, ah, you know, those Mexicans, right, Kurt, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Do you think just because I'm a soldier, I'm a schmuck like you? You know, the, those Mexican guys you're talking about, those were the guys standing between me and the bad guys. Those are guys who are going to pull my ass in if I got shot. What are you talking about? You know, and it, it was it was super weird for me. Um, So I refused to, you know, I refused to give the moral high ground to these preening liberal jerks. Um, You know, their idea of diversity is... You know, well, you know, my housekeeper, my cook, my gardener, you know, I'm open minded. It's stupid. 
Right. And then they and call us racist. actually had it right. Yeah. Where we just didn't, I mean, it just it didn't care. It was, it was beyond the point. And I, I always kind of thought that's the way it's supposed to be, right? You're and right about that. Yeah. that away. Now yeah, it's all and, talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, isn't it isn't it almost like the military based on what you're saying? It's almost like the difference of your favorite football team has a great offensive or defensive coordinator and the guy is totally locked down. You either have the best offense or best defense in football and then they elevate him to head coach and he flops because it's above his pay grade. Right. Well, look, look, I was a very, very good battalion commander. I think I was a pretty good acting brigade commander. If I had stayed in and given up all the conservative stuff, because you can't be a general and be conservative. Why not? not, Well, be a general and be active. No matter what your politics are, that's just inappropriate. So I, you know, I pulled out when I was a colonel. I didn't want to go further. But say I'd gone further and been a general. Would I have been a good general? Now, I I, I think I would have. I think I've got the right stuff to do it. But who knows? Maybe it was outside my grasp. Look, these are hard jobs, man. Being a general, a good general, is a really hard thing to do. To do right, it's easy to do wrong. I've seen both. Um, And I, you know, I just think people need a little more humility to understand that, okay, this is not what I'm good at. And Millie, nobody, nobody seems to be willing to tell Millie that. Well, tell me this. Can they protect us? And what can be done about this situation? Well, right now, I think if we have a war with China, we are in grave danger for several reasons. Uh, I don't trust our uh, military leadership, which means I don't think the troops will perform at their maximum potential. I don't think we have the numbers we need. I don't think we have the equipment we need. Much of our... uh, uh, military equipment has, uh, uh, you know, uh, bombs and things, precision munitions have gone over to Ukraine. And uh, there's been no backfill. And that's a problem. You know, you run out of you run out of precision munition, munitions, you're you're dead in the water. And of course, the, the fight against the Chinese will be an air and water fight. It's not really an army fight. Um can it change? Well, look, the military is a hierarchical structure, and there's an old saying. Soldiers do what commanders check. If commanders are checking wokeness, what kind of unit are you going to have? You're going to have a woke unit. If a commander's checking warfighting capability, what are you going to have? You're going to have warfighting capability. I, I remember one time my, my boss, you know, I wanted to go out and take my battalion and go train and drive up and down hills and all sorts of great stuff. My boss said, hey, Kurt. I need you to do. I need you to make sure we pass our maintenance tests. We've got to do maintenance. I said, "Sir, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to the field next week. Not doing the fun stuff. We're going to stay here. We're going to work on our equipment. Make sure it's up to speed. Because you told me what's important to you. That means it's important to me. So I want you to understand. You're making the trade off. You've told me don't train. Go do maintenance. And he's Roger Kurt. That's my intent. Roger, sir. So we're all about maintenance." I don't know what I wanted to do, but it's what you have to do. Soldiers do what commanders check. So if you get a um, a president in, he can set the stage very, very quickly. Uh, first, he fires all the Joint Chiefs. Just says, I, I, I have no confidence in you. Gets the deputies in and says, guys, you know, it's Monday morning. Here are your orders. 
Friday, you're going to back brief me that you've accomplished what I'm going to tell you now. And this is what we call an orders brief. It is not a decision brief where we discuss the ins and outs and whether you know the courses of action are a good idea. This is an orders brief where you take notes and do what I freaking tell you. And then when, you know, step one, there will be no more DEI stuff, none. You will transfer out of every slot that has the word diversity, equity, or inclusion, civilian or military, you will vacate each slot, fire the civilians, transfer the uh, 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 military to combat arms, and you will conduct no more training on it. We're not going to have Mayori uh, Norwegian month or, uh, you know, non-binary awareness. We, it's all done, over, it finished. And you're going to come back Friday and you're going to tell me you've done that. And if your answer when I ask you, have you done what I told you, is anything other than an unequivocal, yes, sir, I'm going to relieve you. And your deputy is going to come back Monday and tell me he's done what I've told you. And, you know, you you set the standard and then you enforce it. And there'll be a, oh, gosh, you know, there's always a dummy. You know, and everybody's <laughs> got six battalion commanders, seven battalion commanders. And the battalion com- a brigade commander says, all right, guys. Just back brief me. What are we going to do? And number one goes, I'm defending. Number two goes, I'm defending. Number three goes, I'm defending. And then you got number four goes, so I'm attacking. There's always somebody who doesn't get it. Perfect. You post his head on a stick and make him the example. And everybody else looks at it and goes, I don't want to be that guy. So when the president says, do X, I'm going to come in and say, sir, I have done X. And you will change the military culture overnight. There's more things that you got to do. There's, uh, you know, uh, streamlining. Uh, there's certain people who need to go away. Uh, and a, a, a president, say, I don't know, somebody named Don or Ron uh, could get himself a team of veterans to basically go through the Pentagon and say, hey, this whole little, you know, cell that you guys got here, we're not doing this anymore. You're gone. Out. Okay. Hey, Kurt, since you mentioned the ding, 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 ding name, Don, you authored a book entitled The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You. And believe me, we know he'll take care of the military. Now, of which was stated about your book, quote, columnist and bestseller Kirk Slichter provides a fact-filled and frequently hilarious takedown of some of the media's most pernicious lies about the president. Tired of media and left-wing lies about Donald Trump? Then you'll love this book. So, Kurt, give us several of the big whoppers told about Donald Trump you unveil in your book, because you're right, we need to get somebody like him or Ron DeSantis in the White House to straighten out the military. What were some of the biggest lies that you uh, found? Well, look, I had 21 of them, but uh, I I think the biggest one was, uh, you know, he always gets hit with being called a racist. You look at Donald Trump and and does he strike you as the kind of guy who cares about where somebody's ancestor came from? Or does he care about, you know, is the guy interesting? Can he help me out? In the case of a woman, is she really attractive? I mean, do you think he's got some sort of ideological... You know, they're, 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 they're weirdos like, you know, the Nick Fuentes types. And I don't think he had dinner with Nick Fuentes because he's a racist. I think he had Nick, dinner with Nick Fuentes because he's undisciplined and doesn't have a staff 
that stops idiots like Nick Fuentes from eating with him. Uh, but, you know, do, do you think you say, oh, Nick Fuentes, you have some really good ideas about how terrible Jewish people are. Well, tell me more. Oh, come on. Does that, I mean, does that sound like Donald Trump? Do you, I mean, who's, it's, it's just silly. It's silly and it's a lie. And I don't like lies. Um, Look, Donald Trump's highly imperfect. I, I criticize Donald Trump a lot, especially lately, because I think he said some dumb things about uh, Ron DeSantis. But I like to think of myself as someone who's fair and someone who cares enough about Donald Trump because I, I support him as president twice. And I think he was a great president. And I think uh, uh, America should be very grateful for him. Uh, but he's an imperfect guy and he does stupid things. And he needs somebody tough around him to say, Don, you're being dumb. Stop doing that. And he's the last guy on earth who's going to have somebody around him who can tell him, hey, you're being dumb. The, the thing about Donald Trump is that he is like, have you ever gone to one of those restaurants and the chef has like a special fixed price menu? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, you got the, you got the filet and you got, uh, you know, you got uh, broccoli, right? And then you got a couple other things. And you love filet. Everybody loves filet. But you hate broccoli. All right. And you, you go to the chef. And you, I, I want I want the I want the fixed price menu, but I want a substitution. The chef's like, no, it's it's one thing. You take it all. And that's how it is with Trump. You take the great stuff and then you take his annoying habits too. the idea that you're going to get a Trump without mean tweets misunderstands the nature of the guy. Part of the appeal of Trump is the same thing that sometimes makes you pound your head against the wall. Because he's doing things that are dumb. He's, it's the same thing. It's the same guy. And I like the guy, and I think he was a good president. But sometimes he does dumb things. And I, I kind of feel like I'm shouting in the wilderness when I say, okay, don't, you know, don't create stupid nicknames for Ron DeSantis because you kind of look foolish. If he didn't create stupid nicknames, he wouldn't be Donald Trump. Yeah. But then again, who's the guy Who's the other Republican who would not have folded like a cheap suit uh, mm -hmm. on Kavanaugh? Mm -hmm. I was never going to give up. And Trump forced it through and did the right thing and stood behind the guy. Uh, you know, not, I mean, he didn't know the guy. It wasn't personal loyalty. It was, I'm not going to let you tell me what to do. To do. Or and bully it, somebody it, it, unfairly. But who else would have done that? Yeah. So you got, you know, with Trump, you got... The things that annoy you, the same tendencies are also the things that made him great. Right. But now before I ask you about a couple of the more lies, I just want to comment on what you said about the racism aspect, because I think about a racist and me being a black man, I think about I, I kind of think I know a real racist and what a real racist is. And would a real racist have uh, gotten Alice Johnson and uh, and 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 other blacks out of jail? The real racist would have made them stay there for their whole whole, uh, you know, sentencing. As I say in the book, if Donald Trump's a racist, he's not very good at it because under under Donald Trump, uh, black Americans, Hispanic Americans mm -hmm. got to new levels of employment and prosperity that had never been known before. So if he's you know, if he is one, I mean, if he's any any semi, he's the guy who moved uh, the uh, uh, Israeli embassy, the uh, embassy in Israel to the actual capital right. of Israel. Israel. He's just not very good at it. 
And his wife married a Jewish man. I mean, okay, two more. Give me two more lies. Two more big whoppers. Oh, my gosh. He's somehow the tool of the corporations. You know, you get the Republic. You love big corporations. Big corporations are run by liberals. They all have the politics of the CEO's 30-year-old second wife. And she's got the typical uh, policies of somebody you would find shopping for Chardonnay at Trader Joe's. Uh, The the corporations are not conservative. And and while while Trump Trump doesn't like corporations, Trump likes successful people. Mm -hmm. He's very impressed by credentials. And if you went to Harvard, he thinks that's a good thing. Now, that is that is an error. Right. (laughs) The hardest day at Harvard is the day you get admitted. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know. The, the idea is somehow the tool of big business. That's just stupid. And the last thing is, of course, that he somehow loves the Russians. Well, he, if he loved the Russians, once again, not doing it very well. He's the guy who finally gave lethal aid to Ukraine. Something I look, I, I trained Ukrainians in Ukraine. I was saying we need javelins here God, 15 years ago. And uh, no one would do that. Donald Trump did it. And you know what didn't happen? When Donald Trump was president? No war. No war. There was a war under uh, 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 Barack Obama. The Russians went in and took a bunch of Ukraine then. And there was a war under Biden, but there's no war under uh, uh, under Trump. So again, if he's like a Russian uh, you know, asset, again, not very good at it. I hear you, Kirk. You... You wanted you wanted at this the twenty four elections. It's way too early for me to begin to figure out what may occur. So what say you? Uh, look, got those uh, mention machines cleaned up yet? Well, it's more than machines. I know it's, it is. Uh, it, it's a, a whole thing, and I I am unconvinced the Republicans are ready uh, for what's coming because they weren't ready when I went and uh, lawyered for Trump and. Uh, uh, after the 2020 election in Nevada, and I got there, and there was like one lawyer on. So, you know, I I I, I hope they're ready. Um, I keep hearing about how we're supposed to be unified and how all this uh, pot shots at each other are terrible. Well, I I I find dishonest pot shots. I mean, openly dishonest. The is a tool of Soros. Okay, that's just literally stupid. Okay, but. DeSantis doesn't have the experience Trump does. Okay, well, that's reasonable. You can argue with that. I don't think that's crazy or insulting. Um, This is not the time for unity. This is the time for a primary. And uh, uh, anybody who presumes to uh, uh, get the nomination needs to be ready to take a punch in the gut and to deliver one. So I don't mind the fighting and the disunity. That's what primaries are for. We're trying to figure out who the best is. And you're not going to get, do that holding hands and singing, uh, you know, folk songs. Yeah. Right. yeah. After yes. the after the nomination, after the convention, I want to see unity. I am absolutely going to vote for the Republican. I don't care if it's Trump. Well, I mean, I do care, but if it's Trump, I'll vote for Trump. If it's DeSantis, I'll vote for DeSantis. If it's Nikki Haley, I'll roll my eyes, vote for her. If it's mm-hmm. Asa Hutchinson, I'll vote for him. I'm going to vote for the Republican because this is how we do it. This is we, we have a we have a contest. There's a winner. It's fair and square. And then I'm going to salute and drive on. And I find people who go, I'll never vote for Trump or I'll never vote for uh, uh, 
uh, uh, you know, DeSantis. Okay, guys, then you're voting for Biden and you're not helping. There you go. Do do we have election integrity? Is election integrity the biggest thing, even bigger than the primary? No. Uh, Look, election integrity matters when races are very, very close in very specific urban areas. Some of them have been taken care of largely. Look at Georgia, past major reforms. Uh, and all the Republicans there won, except for, you know, Herschel, who was a very nice guy, but just not a great candidate because he didn't get it done. Um, you don't think they stole it from him? From Herschel? No. Herschel lost. And I, I think we need to, look, always presume that the fault lies with you not being good enough or have not done any work. Why? Why would you, why, why would Kurt, why would you say that? Uh, because when you say, well, uh, the election was stolen. Now, maybe the election was stolen. I'm not saying there wasn't cheating. We found cheating the first night, and we found election uh, 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 antics, you know, changes of rules and things, and we also found informal stuff like Zuckerbucks and uh, the, the entire media being on one side. We, we saw that. So I, I, I don't pretend the 2020 election was not was somehow fair. I don't think it was. Uh, but the answer isn't, well, I, I guess we're screwed. The answer is, what can I do better? Elect, you Elections that are close, can you can cheat. You have to tighten rules where you can. They did in Georgia. Uh, you have to put up candidates that people want. Look, Herschel is a great guy. I like Herschel Walker. I think he would. I think he would have been a great guy to have in the Senate just based on, you know, who he is and his vision. More people in Georgia did not think that. <laughs> than than did. And That's they, scary. I had him on. I had him on the podcast. He I was on great. this podcast three days before the election, or actually four days, and it was surprising to me because he's like the national hero of Georgia from his football look, days. He, you know? he just look. Other other Republicans won, but for whatever reason, the people of Georgia didn't think Herschel Walker was the right guy for them. And they thought Raphael Warnock was. I. I, I I don't get That's it either. Scary. What? I'm not the customer. The custom. We've got to earn the vote. I don't think there was cheating in Georgia this time. I think there were problems last time. Uh, I think he just didn't. I, I, I think we just didn't convince the voters. That's and, and we've always got to focus on ourselves because that's what we can control. Where we can't change the laws, we got to deal. Where we can, we should. Um, but. You know, we, we, the question we have to ask is, why did the people of Georgia turn down this guy who had a lot of positive things about it? What was the answer? And then and then that will that will guide our future because they they put Kemp back in by a nice margin. Uh, they put uh, uh, they put other folks in the Cong- the, the uh, Republicans for Congress did very well. Why didn't they like Herschel? We, we got to figure that out because there are customers. You know, you don't get to tell the customer he's wrong. Now, let me go to your state and then I'm going to ask you the last Uh, question, because let me go to your state. Yeah. So so they really wanted Gulag Gavin over Larry Elder. They did. Oh, gosh. It it was insane to me. And by that margin, I'm looking around. Look, that's what the Californians thought. And I look at the problems because I've been here since Reagan was governor. And California is a great state. It's just full of Californians. But it's insane. 
the, the Gavin Newsom's terrible on every level, and he's presided over a disaster. And the people of California chose him. Now, and 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 it wasn't even close. And I don't think it, I don't think it was cheating. I don't think Larry Elder, who is a friend, I I know him. I like him. I voted for him. I went to a fundraiser. Um, I, I I don't think he won. I think he should have. I think he'd been a very interesting governor. Uh, but California's just a stupid state, and we've got to figure out how to win it back. I know you know. Uh, everybody knows Rick Grinnell. Rick Grinnell's out there with his organization registering 10,000 conservative voters every month. We did very well in the uh, uh, congressional elections. Uh, we figured out how to use the ballot harvesting and all the other techniques that California allows. Really freaked out the Dems, too. They were stunned. They're like, what do you mean you're ballot harvesting? Yeah, churches, gun shows, synagogues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're ballot harvesting the hell out of stuff. And they freaked out. Because we we went and mastered their skill. And that's another thing we've got to do. I don't like the rules in California. If you ask Kurt, if I was dictator, well, if I was dictator, we wouldn't have elections. Um, if I was dictator, I would say uh, written, uh, handwritten ballots. Uh, everybody physically, everybody who can physically comes to uh, a, a polling place, writes out a physical ballot. Uh, and, and hands it in on the day of the election. That would be, a, after showing ID, that would be my my choice. Californians, through their legislature, made different choices. So we've got to play by those rules. And uh, we, Republicans have uh, uh, started to learn how to do that, and uh, they've started succeeding. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that Californians will realize they don't have to hit bottom. They don't have to live like this. But until they do, you know, they will. Right. And we could say the same thing about the country. We should have learned from this Biden term what's going on. Kirk, I really appreciate appreciate you, Kurt, coming on. And uh, please tell people how to reach you and about Town Hall and your unredacted with Kurt Slichter uh, podcast. Well, like Town Hall, uh, uh, I, I, you know, if you're a VIP at Town Hall, you can get my unredacted podcast every week. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday are my Town Hall columns, and of course they're amazing. Uh, get um, Go follow me at Twitter, at Kurt Schlichter, and of course I have a new novel out, Inferno, so you should check that out. You know, thank you very much for coming on. You've given us a lot of information. You're welcome to come back. I really want to talk to you about your stand-up comic career. We didn't get uh, to do that, but I did ask you before because we talked about it to just give us one joke. So do you have time for one joke? Uh, the, The joke I wrote that I thought was the funniest, the best structured joke. And, uh, uh, I thought uh, was just hilarious and just went over like a lead balloon in LA. But my mind was, you know, everybody knows what happened in Sodom, but what happened in Gomorrah that was so bad? No one ever talks about it. <laughs> it's literally my favorite joke. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's just, and people just stared at you. I just find that funny. And people just stared at you. People just stared at me like, what the hell are you talking about? Which made it a million times funnier. Kurt, thank you. Because at the end of the day, I don't tell, I I never told jokes for other people. I told them to amuse myself. And if they did, that was fine too. But you know, that's a a rare combination, an army colonel and a stand-up comic. And now a trial lawyer. And a trial lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I find something I like doing and I do it. There you go. Kurt, 
Thank you very much for coming on. God bless you and uh, and keep up the good fight. Okay. Thanks very much. Okay, there you have it, everybody. Mr. Kurt Slichter, telling it like it is. When I learned that Kurt had been a stand-up comic while preparing for this interview, he sent me an email that read, quote, I'll try to be amusing. So I want to thank Kurt for masterfully keeping us from jumping off the proverbial bridge while he gave us his educated opinion on several pivotal issues. This podcast is available for download at radiosinfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. If you're listening for the first time, we hope you'll check out the podcast archive located on the page. There you can hear previous guests, including Monica Crowley, Diamond and Silk, Nick Searcy, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Ben Carson, Mike Lindell, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Tom Holman, Vince Everett Ellison, Steve Turley, Michael Loftus, Naomi Wolf, and Star Parker. That's a wrap, friends. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying, God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America. <laughs>